Welcome to Between the Times, a podcast of Christchurch Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. This is episode 41, and we're here with our pastors, John Payne, Ross Hodges, as well as the intern, <laughs> Matt Proctor. Thank you and for the coffee. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. Yes, yes, thank you. If you needed to heat up any more, let me know. I can run back out and get some more, more coffee. Yeah, mine's about three degrees too cold, so I need you to change that. My place. shoes are a little scuffed too. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, my dry cleaning needs to be picked up at 2, at 2 p.m. Sharp. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 2 p.m. Got it. All right. <laughs> so we're here today, uh, apart from picking on the intern, we're here to talk about the Gospel Reformation Network. And we are here primarily to discuss the purpose of the network itself. So for those who may not know much about it, the Gospel Reformation Network is a network of, of pastors and elders within the PCA whose um, charge, in a sense, is to maintain and to preserve confessional and biblical fidelity within the denomination. Now, fortunately, John, our pastor, is the convener of the Gospel Reformation Network. So, John, could you tell us some more about perhaps the overarching purpose of the GRN and what you want to see from it? So, the the GRN, uh, the Gospel Reformation Network, it uh, began about five years ago. There was a concern uh, among several of us that uh, that a kind of strain of antinomianism was uh, was in the denomination that uh, several young ministers on on blogs in books um, uh, many of our listeners uh, will know the name Tullian Tavidian. Uh some of the things he was writing and speaking about uh, were very concerning putting uh, an almost complete emphasis uh, and sole emphasis upon the doctrine of justification to the exclusion of sanctification. Uh, so many were concerned that there was not a, a proper emphasis upon the third use of the law, upon growing in the Christian life, upon spirit-enabled effort in the Christian life. And sadly, we, we sort of saw a living picture of someone who really didn't embrace the doctrine of sanctification because Tullian uh, crashed and burned and uh, just things turned out uh, really bad. And we see that uh, as a kind of theological uh, decision that was made that the sole focus was going to be on uh, forgiveness and mercy in Christ and not upon growth in him. And so we wanted to, to help encourage the denomination to think uh, hard about the doctrine of sanctification uh, as it relates to the third use of the law, the law as a guide for the Christian life, and not just as that which shows us our sin and leads us to Christ, but also that which Christ hands to us, as it were, with his nail-scarred hands and says, don't obey this in order to earn my love, but obey this because you are loved. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, that was really the emphasis. And we had a few conferences and uh, a website and a council was formed in order to help kind of direct the ministry. And that's the way it's been going for several years. Uh, have, I want to ask, have you guys seen some a lack of balance about the doctrine of sanctification in, in institutions or churches or relationships that you've been in? Yeah, I mean, I think it, 
certainly is a temptation uh, for people who get excited about the gospel. Maybe they're coming out of backgrounds they consider a little bit legalistic and where they didn't really understand the full, free, uh, glorious gospel. Um, and that's a pendulum swing that happens where they go from a more uh, an attitude that is a little bit more uh, based in performance and not really comprehending the, the love of God in the way the scriptures present it, and then um, that got, that uh, pendulum begins to swing, and they really get excited about justification, but instead of it then becoming a, a balance, um, that pendulum keeps swinging, and it swings past where it should, and it begins knocking out other things that it shouldn't be knocking out, and um, I, I've seen that uh, tendency in, um, in folks that I you know, know personally uh, to, uh, for that pendulum to keep going, and it's just a an unfortunate imbalance that can happen pretty easily, um, and it doesn't happen in just sort of one place or one institution. Yes, yes. I guess for myself, uh, the background I come from is probably will be considered more of kind of a fundamentalistic, uh, fundamentalistic background, and in that sense, most of the discussion really was on kind of sanctification as the grounds for justification. Mm. And so my problem was probably the opposite. I came from the background where earning your salvation is, it wasn't maybe explicitly stated, but it was kind of undergirding a lot of preaching. And so leaving that background, come to understand justification, my tendency was to immediately swing to the other side. So I understood kind of the struggles that some were having with kind of understanding the nature of salvation in terms of what does it mean to be justified by his grace and at the same time pressing and striving toward holiness so that was kind of always an issue of me coming from where i came from and so that's why i think it's very important that um, congregations and ministers explain it very well and to keep that balance very strong if the balance falls over any direction, you see the impact maybe five, ten years on the line in terms of the growth of the members of any church. Yes. Uh, Matt, did you, have, did you see this uh, in perhaps you know, your understanding of sanctification as it has grown, as you've been in relationships and churches? How has this uh, uh, impacted your life? Yes, well, being in the PCA for many, many years, I would say that I've been more of a witness as sanctification has shifted and changed within the PCA. And the way that I've seen that shift happen is best seen uh, through understanding that in our culture, we, we are a culture of I. Uh, we are a culture of individualism. And so when people are coming into the PCA, they encounter the doctrine of sanctification, uh, they begin to think now in the PCA that sometimes that when they leave church uh, that they are the ones uh, that are doing the sanctification uh, process, that, that they are the ones that are going out and doing works and various things, that, that in doing so they are being sanctified in their own. And that's been a, a tragedy to, to see that take hold. Yeah, it's kind of a... A man-centered view of sanctification. Very where, much so. Whereas when we understand sanctification properly, we know that God is doing uh, a great work in us, a work that he will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And 
while there is human effort involved in sanctification, we're not passive in sanctification. Yes. It is spirit-enabled effort. Yes. Uh, sanctification is a fruit of being united to Christ. Yeah. Amen. Now, John, the GRN started uh, a few years ago with this issue in mind, um, but it's recently sort of uh, kind of not rebranded, but but it's the the focus has turned uh, to not just this issue, but other issues now. And can you tell us, just bring us up to speed as far as where the GRN is now and sort of what the, um, the main kind of focus is? Yes. Uh, last December, the council uh, made up of uh, ministers from churches um, all around the southeast and midwest uh, gathered together, uh, seven of us gathered together in Charleston here, actually over in Folly Beach, uh, the Rudolph's house. Yeah, and uh, we discussed uh, the possibility of uh, expanding and broadening our vision for the GRN, uh, and mainly because the PCA is an aging denomination, and anyone who has studied church history recognizes, uh, even with a cursory study of church history, that denominations, institutions like seminaries. Uh, churches, denominations, they tend to to grow less committed to their original mission, mm -hmm. vision, and confession, rather than more committed. Mm -hmm. it, we just see it all the time. If you look yeah. at the mainline denominations, they're now in you know mainline Methodists, mainline Presbyterians, uh, mainline Episcopalians, mm -hmm. uh, and many even in 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 evangelical churches that have been around for 40 or 50 years they're throwing off their biblical commitments mm -hmm. they're not they're throwing off their their confessions and mm -hmm. they're embracing things like um an unbiblical view of of sexuality mm -hmm. and and that there are more ways to heaven than through the lord jesus christ mm -hmm. and and just throwing off the authority of god's word and so uh, with that in mind, we thought, you know, with the PCA being an aging denomination and with there being some things said and done at the presbytery level, uh, nothing, nothing terrible, but, but some concerning things being said and done at times, we thought, you know, maybe we need to speak into more areas rather than just into sanctification. Mm. And so we began to uh, think through some distinctives which we might want to uh, encourage uh, folks to think about uh, as they are coming through the ordination process. Uh, maybe they've been in ministry for years and, and perhaps could be sharpened mm -hmm. in a few areas of their theology and confessional fidelity. Now, what, for those people who will say, now, is this really necessary? Um, you know, the, the PCA isn't anywhere close to affirming or doing those things that that some of these other mainline denominations are. I mean, you know, why why is there really need to be a network like this? Um, how do you respond to that and, and, and explain why there's a group of people who believe that um, there does need to be an, an overt encouragement to biblical fidelity and confessional integrity, which is a, one of the first points? Um, why, why does the, I mean, you as the convener, how do you respond to that? Well, we don't think so much of the GRN that without the GRN, you know, the, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you know, fizzles. Uh, and <coughs> on one level, we just want to be an encouragement to our denomination. We want to love our denomination. We want to see our denomination continue to hold fast to that which it's held to. You know, the, the, the kind of uh, banner slogan is that we want to be uh, faithful to the scriptures, true to the reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. Now, the next question you have to ask is, well, what does it mean to be faithful to the scriptures? Mm. And what does it mean to be true to the reformed faith? And what does it mean to be obedient to the Great Commission? There's confusion in broad evangelicalism on all three of those things. Mm. And broad evangelicalism is impacting the PCA on many levels. And we're seeing that. Um, And so with those concerns of wanting the PCA to continue uh, to be faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith and to her Reformed confession and being to the Great Commission, uh, we have decided that, you know, to do a few things. I mean, we don't do a whole lot, honestly, Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have a, a website that we are, uh, uh, we have articles being put up there uh, two, three times a month that are reinforcing some of these things we're talking about today. Uh, we have an annual luncheon at the, um, at the General Assembly uh, this past year, we had Kevin DeYoung speak on the question, what is the mission of the church? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? Because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. <laughs> and had over 300 uh, pastors and ruling elders attend that. There's a lot of interest in what we're doing. And we hear from pastors all the time who are concerned about some of the things that are being said in their presbyteries and in their churches. And they want to see the PCA continue to be uh, faithful to these things that we're, we're discussing here. So... Uh, that would be my answer. We yeah. we don't see ourselves as the answer to to all the PCA's problems, uh, of course. And we're not a parachurch organization. We're simply a network of ministers that's seeking to encourage the PCA to hold fast to her confession. You know, I think that's really important uh, to understand. Uh, and also, along with that, the fact that the churches that have become obviously unfaithful that didn't happen overnight, and it didn't happen with big decisions right away. It, it happened incrementally, and it happened um, over a great period of time, and it was with small decisions and small compromises. And so I'm glad to hear you um, ex- explain what you have for our listeners so that they can see that this isn't uh, a group of people saying, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and uh, you know this denomination is on the brink of collapse or anything like that. But it's just it's a it's a group of ministers, as you've said, who are concerned about certain things, and it's and it's small. It can even be small things, but but small things are important things, and so it's important to remain steadfast on uh, on on the details. And it's important to recognize that we have about three hundred fifty thousand members, mm-hmm. and in a denomination that large, under a tent that big and expansive, you're always going to have folks that are going to be pushing the envelope on some of the uh, railings that have been put up uh, yeah. with our confessional standards. And uh, that's happening today. It's been happening since the founding of our denomination. It's just, it's just the way churches are. And uh, several, I mean, many, many churches over the years have left the denomination because they thought the PCA is too conservative. Mm-hmm. We want to ordain women. We want to, in some cases, some churches have left because they want to welcome homosexuals into church membership and even ordain homosexuals into the ministry. Um, there are those who have left the denomination because they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, so they've left. But there are those who want to stay in the denomination 
and who quietly want to see the denomination changed because they feel very strongly about their convictions about how wrong the PCA is. So rather than, in my opinion, have integrity and leave, they stay and they try to make change. And they do so slowly and incrementally. So this is not just a wandering that happens. It's oftentimes uh, a, a concerted effort to change the face of the denomination. Okay. Now, one of the things that we, well, two of the things that we know the GRN specifically addresses in some of its writings would be on one, kind of the, uh, the statement of reformed worship and what reformed worship is and what it is not. And probably the second, and it's probably the most controversial, would be what you mentioned previously on the mission of the church. And this kind of goes usually to church planning and what we do with international missions. So, John, could you, I guess, address how the GRN is at least attempting to address some of the concerns either in uh, what Reformed worship is today, also in terms of what missions would be today? Yeah, so we want to encourage as we say in our official statement a joyful commitment to and humble confidence in the ordinary means of grace in lord's day worship uh, we we want to encourage pca churches uh, simply enough to be reformed in their worship uh, to embrace that which the reformed church has uh, held on to for 500 years and that is the centrality of biblical preaching uh, a commitment to a faithful administration of the Lord's Supper and baptism and uh, prayer for the people of God um, with, with a reformed ecclesiology and setting forth what we believe the church is meant to be in the lives of God's people. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's really the main thing. We want to see churches worshiping according to the regulative principle of worship, which is in our confession, that we worship according to the word and not according to our whims or the latest cultural trends, uh, which unfortunately we see some of that going on. Uh, just recently there was a, a video that's been going around the internet about uh, these three uh, very effeminate uh, ballet dancers dancing a kind of um, uh, liturgical interpretive dance prior to communion, which lasted for five minutes. And there's a lot of uproar about that right now. Uh, some have even called it blasphemous. Uh, and, you know, one can say what they want about it, but at the least, it is something that is not according to Scripture, and we would never want to see the Word of God replaced by such antics in, in public worship. So we, we would say, let's be careful not to add all kinds of things into our worship services, which are not according to Scripture, because that's not what it means to be reformed. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of missional clarity, there's been a new focus on social justice. Um, there's been a new focus on uh, um, bringing, you know, a kind of peace to the city, uh, transforming cities. Uh, these kinds of embassies, while one person may mean something different than another who says those very terms. I know they can all be very slippery. We want to get back to the Great Commission, which calls us to make disciples according to the means of grace. That is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That is what the apostles did in the New Testament. They preached the word. They prayed for their people. 
they gathered churches, they appointed elders, and they, they, they did the work of the church. They weren't involved in opening coffee houses or opening restaurants or starting sports leagues. They were committed to uh, doing the work of discipleship. And that's going to look a little different in every church, but there should be a lot of similarities, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the, the emphases that the GRN has um, is on godly leadership. Um, and I've, I've been encouraged by the, the work of the GRN in, in its entirety. Uh, but this one, I, this point, I find to be uh, particularly uh, poignant and helpful uh, today. It's, it's sad to acknowledge that it seems about every six months I'm hearing about someone in ministry um, who has fallen into some form of, of pretty bad sin. Um, I hear it about every two months. Yeah, so I guess I'm sheltered from four months of that. But um, it, unfortunately, it seems rampant. And the, the idea of godly leadership and personal piety, um, going back to our discussions earlier on sanctification, um, the idea of personal piety can, can become sort of a, a, a bad word uh, amongst those who really want to emphasize the grace of God. But, but we don't want to pit the grace of God against the, the call to holiness. Mm. Um, and certainly Apostle Paul doesn't want to do that, as, as we know. Um, but I, I find that this is a, a very needed emphasis in our day and in our denomination um, for ministers um, and uh, to walk with God and to, to, to have a ministry that is an overflow of personal holiness. Um, that doesn't separate public life from private life and those sorts of things. But um, I, I really appreciate that. And um, do you, have you guys experienced the same thing? Yeah. I've, um, one thing I've noticed even being here over the summer, as I've learned from Pastor, Pastor John, is a motto that's really stuck with me that he's tried to give me in order to mature in as, as I grow and Lord willing someday become a pastor is is the motto of preach how you act uh, because so often there can be this bifurcated uh, life of, of preaching one thing in the pulpit and then stepping away and having this very private life which is wholly different from that uh, which comes from proclaiming God's Word and that's really grabbed hold of me and ordering to try and focus on having that united. It's been interesting over the past years, we've had this emphasis on pastoral piety, how many pastors we've heard from who have been uh, encouraged and challenged by this message. And it's not a message you hear very often, quite frankly. I I think that there needs to be more discussion amongst ministers about uh, the call to godliness and to be an example. First Peter 5 calls us to be an example to the flock. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be able to say, in, in, in some sense, as Paul says, we should be able to say to our congregation, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, too many ministers are saying, don't follow me, I'm just a mess, and uh, that kind of a thing, and making excuses. And when really it's a part of our calling to be an example to the flock of, of, of walking with God, um, yes, as Ross said, many, many ministers are falling into sin. And what happens over time, in subtle ways, ministers stop walking with Jesus personally. And then this duplicitous life begins to form, 
where they are one thing with their family or in their marriage or with their kids or on their own in front of the computer, that kind of thing, and another person in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a kind of, particularly in the Reformed Church, there's a kind of intellectual emphasis that can be very dangerous because reformed, ed, highly educated reformed ministers, as, as is often the case in the PCA, they can play the game of being the sharp theologian and articulate pastor in the pulpit while their life is in the shambles privately. And uh, I recently spoke to a group of ministers on this subject and it was extraordinary, the response I could tell. There must have been a lot of guys struggling with this very issue by the response that, that came afterwards, often in tears. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of pressure on ministers. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, loneliness in leadership. There's pressure on, on ministers' families to, to be a certain way, to, uh, to do certain things in the midst of the congregation. Uh, there, there are church members that get upset and angry. There's the pressure of deadlines. Every single week, you're basically writing one or two, three or four thousand word papers to, mm-hmm. to, to preach, to present. It's a lot of pressure. And um, this is, for one reason, uh, an encouragement to, 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 to church members to pray for their pastors, uh, but also for pastors to challenge pastors to make sure that we are never allowing our public ministry uh, to be fake, uh, that that our public ministry is always flowing from our private, growing walk with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we're very thankful for the work that the Lord has been doing with the Gospel Reformation Network. It's not just for pastors, it's also for congregations and members. And so if you have the time, the web page or the web link for the GRN is gospelreformation.net. So one more time, gospelreformation.net. And there are numerous articles there, not just for pastoral exhortations, but also for members of all kinds within the PCA. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for joining us. And we hope that uh, you will see us again on Between the Times.